So Proverbs 9, verses 1 to 18. Wisdom has built her house. She has set up its seven pillars. She's prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her servants, and she calls from the highest point of the city. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, come, eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways, and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Do not rebuke mockers, or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise, and they will love you. Instruct the wise, and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous, and they will add to their learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom your days will be many, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. Folly is an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house, on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who, straight, who go straight on their way. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are here, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. The next passage is from James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. That's on page 1044. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace, reap a harvest of righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening, 7pm. How are we? Good. That's good. Uh, We've come to the halfway moment of this little book of James. And uh, I don't know about you, but it has done a work on me. uh, And tonight uh, is a bit different. After the uh, sermon, there's going to be a chance for Q&A. Uh, so if you have any questions uh, that come up uh, through the sermon, you can text them uh, to that number that's on the screen, uh, or you can put your hand up and uh, I will do my best to answer them at the end. But let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I have a suspicion that I think James, who wrote the book of James, was a teacher, an educator at heart. I think this because not only does he use very vivid pictures to help illustrate, you know, the taming of the tongue from last week, but he begins a new topic 
the way I used to begin a new topic when I was a high school teacher, with a brainstorm. Have a look at verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? So what we're going to do now is I want you to think by yourself, maybe write it down, what comes to your mind when you think of wisdom, someone who's smart, intelligent? What words, what kind of people come to mind? Think about it for 15 seconds. Write it down if you will. What comes to mind when you think wise, smart, intelligent? All right, what I want you to do now is turn to the person next to you and share what you're thinking. Go. All right, let's bring it back. As it were, let's share with the whole class. What came to mind when you think wise, smart, intelligent? Shout them out. Professor. Also, that's a bit loud. <laughs> a bit excited there. Professor, yes, what are the other things? A bald man. A bald man. <laughs> Backhanded compliment, are you? No. Um, old person. Gandalf, he's from Lord of the Rings. Articulate, yes. Considered. Last takers? Someone who listens? Experience? So James is getting us to think, what comes to mind when we think why someone is understanding? But in some ways, he's set us up for a bit of a trap. Have a look what he says wisdom is. Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. What he's saying there is the wise person is not in what they know, what they can understand, what they can comprehend, but in how they live their life, what they do. It kind of echoes chapter 2 of James, where James said, faith without deeds is dead. Well, wisdom without deeds is also dead. Which means you could be a psychologist, right? Know the intricate workings of the brain and how we interact with one another. But if you're not a kind person, what's the point? You could have a PhD and rub shoulders with professors, right? But if you, in the end, are not a caring person to those around you, what's the use of all that knowledge? You could be a business guru, right, and know when to buy at the right time, when to invest ahead of everyone else. But if you're not generous and humble in your generosity, what good is it? You could be a Christian who gives out great advice, great counsel. But if you do not live out your Christian life, are you all that wise? See, James, bit by bit, is tearing down our initial thoughts of what a wise, smart, intelligent person is and saying it doesn't matter about the degrees, what school you went to, whether you know who Freud is or you love to read books. It doesn't matter about your 
business skills or the advice you give. No, no, no. A wise life is deeds done in humility, which is comforting, isn't it? Because no matter what education you've had, no matter whether you love to read books or you just use books to decorate your house, no matter if your results of the HSC were published in the newspaper or you barely made it through year 10, you can be a wise person. Because wisdom is determined on do you live well in God's world? It is about what you do and how you go about your life. So that we're not deluded or, you know, any misconception of what this wise life looks like, James spells it out, right? He starts with the foolish life. Have a look, verse 14. But if you harbour bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. See, James focuses on two areas, right? Bitter envy and selfish ambition. And if you're anything like me, you're thinking, why these two? I mean, these are not the things that I would necessarily think with a foolish life. But, but James focused on these. So what I want to do is spend a moment unpacking each of these, right? Let's start with envy. Envy is more than wanting what someone has. Because in a sense, there's nothing wrong with that, right? I mean, that's why we pray. We pray because we want something we don't have, whether that's healing, a job, all sorts of things. So envy is more than just wanting what something, someone has. Envy, uh, Tilly Delahaye in her book, Seeing Green, highlights that envy begins with feelings of inferiority. When you look around the people in your life, you look at how they look, the jobs they have, their talents, their abilities, their personality, the relationships they have, and you want it. And you feel like God has shortchanged you somehow. In his providence, he's, he's made a terrible mistake. And you become jealous of those people. Envy doesn't stay there. No, no, it moves then into nasty feelings of negativity. Where you start to brew and stew on it. Your body aches and yearns for what they have. And you start thinking, they're not really that happy. I mean, behind closed doors, they're probably miserable. And you highlight their failures and their inconsistencies. But the thoughts don't start there with envy. No, no, they become part of your dreams. So you start to dream about that person, that they lose whatever it is that you want. So if they have a great job, they get exposed for corruption. If they have a great marriage, caught in adultery. If they're good-looking and fit, instantly gain 20 kilos. These are the kind of dreams you have, right, when you're envious. But dreams, because they don't come true, envy doesn't stop there. Envy then moves into resentment. It, it comes out of you in all sorts of ways. You start to gossip and make up lies about the person. You start to sabotage whatever they're good at. Sometimes you physically break the thing that's tied to their talent. Envy is not safe. It is never satisfied, and it comes with very unpleasant friends. The question you need to ask yourself is, what are you envious of? No, 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 wait, better question. Who are you envious of? Because often there are people who are in the same 
stage of life, who are close to you, who you rub shoulders with, and there's something that they have or who they are that you want. And the first step in leading a wise life is knowing who they are and what it is. So that's envy. The second thing, James highlight, is selfish ambition. Now, there's a difference between ambition and selfish ambition. I don't have time to go into it now. But selfish ambition, right, is wanting to do something ultimately for yourself. Uh, the ambition could be your career, study, travel experience, uh, parenting, uh, your portfolio, popularity, whatever it is. But in the end, you want to achieve this so you feel like you've made it, that you're a somebody, you're capable, you're known, you're liked. And a life marked by selfish ambition is no wise life at all. Because rather than doing deeds done in humility, you trample over person after person. You crush relationship after relationship. You sacrifice church, family, friends, all for your selfish ambition. And here's the thing. You talk about it nonstop, right? If someone's selfish ambition is to have high-achieving children, they talk about it nonstop. And it drives the living daylights out of everyone else, right? If your selfish ambition is your job, you talk about it again and again and again. If it's your popularity, you'll talk about your travel experiences and where you've been, the parties you've been to again and again and again. And James is saying, don't boast about it. Don't boast about it. You think it's wise, it's foolish. Verse 15, such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. This type of living, this yearning for what others have and this flaunting of what you do have, does not come from God. It's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. But here's the thing about this type of wisdom. It's not easily recognizable. Because you notice it's earthly, it's, it's unspiritual. It, it's the stuff that surrounds us, right? We swim in this all the time. And so it's not easily noticed. Uh, give an example, social media, right? Whether you're on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, and for the three of you still on MySpace, when you're on social media, right, the whole well, one of the things that social media does well, it creates and fans into flame this envy within us, don't we? We look at the people in our life, we think, I want that. I want what they have. I found it this week, right? I was looking at a mate's Facebook profile and I thought, why was he invited to that conference? I want to be invited. What does he have? And this negative feeling start conjuring up, right? And social media does it again and again and we're surrounded by it. And we think it's normal. You listen to any motivational speaker, any interview with a celebrity, and they'll say this. Achieve what you want to achieve. Live out your dreams. Be who you want to be. Do whatever you want to do. In other words, selfish ambition. But you might think, demonic. Surely that will be noticeable. But Satan masks around like an angel of light. 
according to 2 Corinthians. So not necessarily so. Earthly wisdom is not easily identified. But you know what it is? The fruit of it. Have a look, verse 16. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. So you wait long enough, and from an envious heart, disorder comes. You wait long enough, and from a selfish ambition, every evil practice comes forth. Let me give you two illustrations of how this could look. Bitter envy destroying a family. Two sisters. The older sister is quite talented, and people like her. The younger sister is envious of the older sister, what she can do. And this envy has been brewing for many, many years, and one day it comes out in a lie that a young sister spreads, and it catches like wildfire. Eventually, the old sister finds out about the young sister and that she started this thing, and she is furious, and they clash in a massive fight, and they are divided, and they do not speak to one another. And the family breaks down, all because of envy. Selfish ambition can destroy a workplace. It's annual review time, and people are looking forward to a bonus. They, they want that bonus. And there's a guy in the office who starts dishing out false information. So it makes people make errors, and sometimes big errors. He then starts using personal information, which he got from Friday drinks, to manipulate people, corner people. And because of this guy's selfish ambition in wanting to climb the ladder, the workplace becomes a place of distrust and anger and suspicion. Where you have envy and selfish ambition, James says, there you find disorder and every evil practice. See, James starts, right, with the fact that true wisdom is not what you know but how you live. Because you can know a lot, Right? You can know a lot, but if your life is marked by envy and selfish ambition, then in the end, you're a fool. But, verse 17, it's a good word, but. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. Wise living is first and foremost sourced from God, and it is Pure. I've got two bottles of water here. The one on the left, sourced from pure Australian spring water. The second, well, I'm not going to tell you where it's sourced from, but it doesn't look all that good. This, as it were, is heavenly pure wisdom. It is incapable of doing anything wrong. This is earthly wisdom. It is mixed, it is dirty, and it leads to all sorts of disorder and decay. The question is, where do you get heavenly pure wisdom from? Because you notice what it says? It's from heaven, right? It's, it's up above. How do you access that? How do you source it? Well, the good news is that heaven came down in Jesus Christ. And as the Bible says, Jesus is 
the wisdom of God. And in 1 John, it says this beautiful verse where all who have this hope in Jesus purify themselves just as he is pure. The wisdom of God, which is pure, which is heavenly, is found in Jesus Christ. My dad was talking to my sister when she was about six years old and had a conversation where dad asked Maddie, what's the most important thing that you know, Maddie? And they said, Jesus died for my sins. And I said, you know, Maddie, you know something far more important than any of the professors in the whole world. I like, really, Dad? Yep. What's a professor? So you might not know as much as a professor. You might not even know what a professor is. But if you know that Jesus is the wisdom of God and he is worth following, then you know something that is far more important than anything else. And the good news is, as it says in James chapter 1, if you lack wisdom, ask God for it, and he gives it in abundance. The question is, will you ask for it, or will you stick with earthly wisdom? Because what you put in is what you get out. That's why James lists a whole bunch of characteristics that flow forth from heavenly pure wisdom. It says peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. They kind of remind me of Galatians where Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. That if you're full of the Holy Spirit, then you should produce the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. And if you're full of heavenly wisdom, then you should produce fruit such as this. Now again, there's not the list that I would normally put together with a wise life, but they're, they're listed. I want to go bit by bit through them and, and get practical. What do they mean? What do they look like? Firstly, let's start with peace-loving. This is someone who doesn't want conflict. Not conflict-averse, Right? You sort of become a turtle with tension, right? There's not conflict. No, no, someone who is gentle, who promotes unity, trust, cooperation. Now, some of you are the kind of people who love drama. And if things are getting boring in your life, you'll bring up a lie or you exaggerate things to create a bit of drama in your life so the tension's all back to you. That's is not someone who is peace-loving. But because envy can produce all sorts of fights and quarrels, it is important to start with yourself and think, who am I envious of, right? As I said before, name the people in your life who you are envious of and what do they have that you want. We'll come back in a moment to what's the next step, but first step is identify them, right? The second characteristic are kind of antidotes for selfish ambition. Have a look. Considerate, it says there. If you want to keep peace, then you need to be considerate, right? Because there are going to be others in your spheres, whether your family, church, workplace, who are going to be different from you. Different personalities, different cultural groups, etc., etc. And if it's all about you and your selfish ambition, you'll view them as a waste of space, as holding you back. 
But if you consider it, it means stopping and listening to them, growing in empathy and thinking maybe they have something to offer that I don't and is ultimately for our benefit. Submissive is the next trait. See, selfish ambition is all about you and anyone who tells you what to do becomes an enemy. But to be submissive to those who are in authority over you means I'm going to do what they say even though it's not going to look good on my resume. Even though I might disagree with it, I'm still going to do it. Maybe no one will even notice, but I'm going to respect those in authority because it's not about me. The next trait, full of mercy and good fruit. I love that word full because it kind of reminds me of how I feel every time I leave a Lebanese restaurant, right? Full and with doggy bags, you know? And if you're a Christian, you are full of the mercy of God. You cannot get any more mercy into you, right? Because we are wretched sinners and yet God has been amazingly loving and generous to us. You are full of mercy So you should produce good fruit from it. That's why the two are tied together. And a wise life is looking for opportunities of how can I be merciful to others? How can I be generous to them, welcoming to them, even though they may not deserve it? And here's the thing, right? Envy can turn a friend into an enemy. Because in your mind, you think that person is an enemy to my happiness. An antidote for an envious heart is to show mercy and say, you know what? I want to thank God for that person. I want to thank God for what he's given them. In fact, God, I want them to succeed at what I'm envious. I want them to do better. I'm going to get personal for a moment. My dear friend is Ed Yorston. He's your pastor. He's my friend. We've been friends for many years. And over that time, I've noticed things about him that I want. His fitness, his fashion, his consistency, his gift in evangelism, and his social ability. And as I've gone through our friendship, right, I've noticed these things. And if I'm honest, there's been times when envy has come up. But because I do not want to turn Ed into an enemy, I do not want to do that, I've had to say, God, thank you for my brother Ed. Thank you for the way you've made him, for the gifts you've given him. And actually, God, may he do better than he did last year in them. May he succeed in them. Because envy can turn a friend into an enemy. But bringing it to God and asking God to bless them stops it in its tracks. The last quality is impartial and sincere. The opposite of which is being fake, double-minded, having two lives, the one you see, the one you don't see. But to be sincere is to be genuine and honest kind of bringing into light what's deep down inside. 
Because there are people in your world who you want to be like. They have traits, they have things. To be sincere is to actually bring it out and say, you know what? I've noticed you're good at this. I'm encouraged by the way you do that. I love it when you do this. Gee, I would like to be like that. How can I learn from you in this? And what you're doing there is you're bringing it out and you're turning envy into a moment of encouragement where you build them up. Here's the thing, friends. Wisdom from God, deeds done in humility, you'll notice there's a flavor here, isn't there? It's focus on the other. Focus on the other. And the result of living by God's wisdom is the last verse of this chapter. Verse 18, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. James here is taking a a gardening metaphor, right? Where peace is the soil and those who make peace sow into it and will be rewarded with what? A harvest of righteousness. What, What does that mean? It means this. You bring a smile to your heavenly Father's face. You warm his heart if you're a peacemaker. Because you're living the way God intended you to live. You're not going against the grain. You're going with his created order. And it brings a smile to his face and a blessing to those around you. Because peace, if we're honest, is hard, right? Being a peacemaker is tough stuff. It is easy to do this. It is so much harder to be a peacemaker. I don't think it's an accident that James uses a gardening image here, right? Because gardening is challenging and never-ending. That's why some of you outsource it, right? But you can't outsource this. You can't outsource this. If you do not sow in peace, you will not reap it. If you go home tonight and plant some parsley seeds in a pot and eight weeks later are angry because there's no watermelon growing, what do you expect? And if you sow into your life earthly wisdom of envy, selfish ambition, and think, why is my life not peaceful? What did you expect? But James here is saying, sow into your life the seeds of peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial and sincere. And the result is a harvest of righteousness. We began by asking the question, who is wise and understanding among you? Is that you? Are you someone who is wise? The answer to that question comes from where you source your wisdom from, from heaven or earth? And do you let that wisdom show itself in deeds Marked by humility. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we come to you now asking for forgiveness for the times that we have been foolish in our life, for the envy and the selfish ambition that marks so much of what we do. We are sorry and we pray, Lord, that we would run to you, Lord Jesus that you are the wisdom of God and that we would live a life 
marked by that of peace, consideration, submission, mercy, and sincerity. This we ask for your glory and our benefit. Amen. As I said, got time for a couple of questions. A couple are coming in now. Here we go. First question. Is being inspired by someone to achieve what they have a form of envy? Interesting question. Is being inspired by someone to achieve what they have a form of envy? I don't know. I mean, you think about, like, there's a good... I'll give an example of... My different Ed. So there's things, things with Ed he has that push me, that, grow, that, that I actually want to grow in evangelism, right? I, I want to grow in that, I want to do better that, and I want to learn from him. And so I do learn from him, but there's a, there's a danger there where I can, become envious. And I think that's true of all things, right? Where there's people around you who have abilities, talents, gifting, all sorts of things, that's actually good to learn from, to grow from. But then it's a heart thing, isn't it? How do I treat them? Do I thank God for them? And do I use it as a moment to grow personally? Um, I, I, think it's, I think it's hard. Envy is a very subtle thing. You often can't see it, but it does eventually come out. Um, next question. Oh, hang on. They're coming in too fast. What is, huh, I got this question wrong. What is the fear as in fear of the Lord? So in the Proverbs passage, fear. Uh, fear, what it says, the beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord, does not mean, ah, freak out, right? And it doesn't mean the kind of fear that some of you had when it comes to your dad, who would erupt in anger and you'd be terrified, right? It's not that kind of fear. Fear of the Lord, the beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord. We have an understanding of who God is and who you are. That God holds the universe in the palm of his hand. Right now, he is keeping your heart pumping. If you understand that, if you understand who God is and who I, that should bring a healthy fear that you're not God and God is God. Now, notice that's the beginning of wisdom, right? It's not the whole package, but it's a great place to start when you understand who God is, who your creator is, and who you are. Um, one more question. Are there good things to strive for personally, say a good career, because you can support family, including your parents? Are there good things to strive for personally, say a good career, because you can Support your family, including your parents. I think, it's interesting, James doesn't say ambition or, or aspiration are bad, right? It's the word in front of it, selfish ambition. And I don't think, uh, ambition is not bad, but selfish ambition is. So I mean, you can do all sorts of things, like doing a job to provide for the needs of your parents. You could be uh, 
in the business world, you've been caring for the third world, all sorts of ambitions, aspirations, but every single one of them become, can become about self. Even something as good as working hard so that your parents are supported or something like that. I'll, I'll give you a personal example. As a pastor, I want to be ambitious in the sense to be a better pastor, right? To care, to preach, to, to partially um, look after. I, I want to grow in that. You have to admit that's, that's a good ambition, right? But it can become selfish, and it's revealed, is it about me? So last year, I had a moment, a couple of weeks, where my voice started to go, right? It started to weaken. And as if God was saying to me, you know I can do this without you, James. I don't need you to be involved. And it was very helpful because is my ambition about me, self, or is it about others? Because every ambition you have, every aspiration... Is a litmus, are you doing this for others or the glory of God, or is it solely about you? And there'll be moments along the way that reveal, expose that, particularly if that ambition is taken away. That'll ultimately reveal, was it all about you more than anything else? I'm going to invite the band up. Sorry, there's more questions coming. Please keep questioning, asking, looking into God's word. And let's praise our great Lord.